I am Dr. Barbara Kiel, and some clients of mine prefer to call me Dr. Bibi. And to be honest, I quite like it. Welcome to my podcast. To be honest, a podcast that is born out of mental health efficacy. I believe in the power of intention, and my intention for this podcast is to educate whoever wishes to listen, and to make a paradigm shift in how we perceive mental illness. I also believe mental health education is key, and that one of the most valuable gifts you can give yourself is to invest. In your own mental health. Let's face it, we all need to learn how our minds work, and have the skills to deal with life's ups and downs. And more importantly, let us strengthen our ability to better connect with and support each other. Strong, empathetic. Nurturing and caring relationships have the power to prevent everyday challenges from becoming more concerning issues like mental illness. The responsibility to renew focus on your own mental well-being begins now. Mental illness is a health problem that affects how a person thinks, behaves. And interacts with others. Mental illness is a group of illnesses that are often diagnosed through standard criteria. So, in our profession, is known as the DSM-5: Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders. So, the DSM. Five is a diagnostic tool published by the American Psychiatric Association, short for APA, APA, and is utilized by both the psychiatric and psychological professions as an aid in the process of diagnosis. And starting from this episode, the symptoms that I will be sharing with you. Would be directly from、uh, the DSM five, which is the fifth edition, is the most current one. And before I continue, let us set the energy of this episode together. You may wish to put your hand on your heart and close your eyes. Now take a deep breath in. Hold it for five seconds, and exhale out loud. Let your thoughts go. Let your past go. Now take a moment to plug into the greater energy of the universe. Feel your heart, and imagine us all connected in a unified field of divine white light. 
and know that you are safe. All is well. And so it is. And take another deep breath in. Hold it. And let it out with a sigh. And when you are ready, slowly open your eyes. Types of mental illnesses. Now, there are many different types of mental illnesses, just as there are many types of physical illness. Some of the defining characteristics of a mental illness are that it is a recognized medically diagnosable illness. Like I said earlier, we use, we practitioners use the DSM-5. That it can cause significant cognitive, affective, or relational impairment. It also results from biological, developmental, and or psychosocial factors that it can be managed using physical disease approaches such as prevention, diagnosis, treatment, and rehabilitation. Now, the good news is research on mental illness is evolving. As time passes, more mental illnesses are being discovered and diagnosed. Some of the more common and well-researched mental illnesses by category of illness, include what I'm going to start talking about is anxiety disorders because it is one of the top illnesses that a lot of people experience. So at this time, my audience, I want you to know that if at any given time, if you feel anxious... Um, by any of the content of this episode, I want you to push the pause button, get up from your seat, and take a walk, take deep breaths, calm yourself down, and then you may come back and continue listening uh, to the episode. Now imagine this is a conversation between a client of mine and me. Let's call him Bob. Well, Dr. Bibi, it's been an awful month. I can't seem to do anything. I don't know whether I'm coming or going. I'm afraid I'm going crazy or something. What makes you think that, Bob? Well, I can't concentrate. My boss tells me to do something and I start to do it. But before I have taken five steps, I don't know well what I started out to do. I get dizzy and I can feel my heart beating and everything looks like it's shimmering or far away from me or something. It's unbelievable. Well, Bob... What thoughts come to mind when you are feeling like this? 
Well, I'm not so sure. I just think, oh Christ, my heart is really beating. My head is swimming. My ears are ringing. I'm either going to die or go crazy. And what happens then, Bob? Well, it doesn't last more than a few seconds. I mean that intense feeling. I come back down to earth, but then I'm worrying what's the matter with me all the time. Or checking my pulse to see how fast it's going, or feeling my palms to see if they are sweating. Can others see what you are going through, Bob? Well, you know what, Doctor Bibi? I doubt it, because I hide it. I mean, I don't want other people to think I'm crazy. I haven't been seeing my friends, to tell you the truth. You know, they say let's stop for a beer. Or something after work, and I gave them some excuse, you know, like I have to do something around the house or with my car. I'm not with them when I'm with them, anyways, to be honest. So I'm just sitting there worrying. My friend Pat said I was frowning all the time. So anyway, I just go home and turn on the TV or pick up the sports page. But I can't really get into that either. Now, my audience, one does not need to be as troubled as Bob to experience fear and anxiety. I'm sure we could all think of a time when our breathing quickened, our muscles tensed, and our hearts pounding. With a sudden sense of dread, or was it when your car almost skidded off the road in the rain or in the snow, or when your professor announced a pop quiz? Well, we've all been students, and I'm sure there are students out there listening to this podcast as well. Or what about when the person you were in love with went out with someone else? Or your boss suggested that your job performance ought to improve. So, any time you face what seems to be a serious threat to your well-being, you may react with a state of immediate alarm known as fear. Now, sometimes you cannot pinpoint a specific cause for your alarm, but still. You feel tense and edgy, as if you expected something unpleasant is going to happen to you. All right. So at this time, let me explain the differences between fear, anxiety, and generalized anxiety disorder. Now, fear is the central nervous system's physiological. And emotional response to a serious threat to one's well-being. So let's say, if someone comes at you with a knife, well, instantly you will f- have fear. You will, s- will feel fearful. That's why people say fear and present danger. So unlike fear, anxiety. Is the central nervous system's physiological and emotional response to a vague sense of threat or danger. 
So to be honest, I could say that anxiety is its own distorted reality. It changes the way your mind processes information, so that you experience the symptoms of fear when there is really no fear around. It can be triggered by negative thinking, or overthinking,、uh, rumination, and the tendency for your mind to notice cues that match your psycho. Logical expectations. Another thing is that anxiety can also cause distorted reality as a symptom, and that symptom may be so severe that some worry that they are losing touch with the world. And the bottom line is, it's often simply anxiety that they are feeling. Actually, under the category of anxiety disorders,、uh, it's not just generalized anxiety disorder, but also、uh, PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder,、uh, obsessive compulsive disorder, and panic disorder. But in this episode, I'm going to focus on generalized anxiety disorder. So people with generalized anxiety disorder, they experience excessive anxiety under most circumstances, and constantly worry about, well, practically everything and anything. In fact, their problem is sometimes described as. Free-floating anxiety, well, similar to uh, the uh, dialogue that I shared with you earlier with Bob, and they typically feel restless, keyed up, on edge, tired easily, have difficulty concentrating, suffer from muscle tension, and obviously. Uh, have sleep problems. The symptoms last at least six months before it's considered to be a disorder. Nevertheless, most people with the disorder are able, with some difficulty, to carry on social relationships and job activities. So, according to the DSM five, there's a checklist for this disorder. So, if one has excessive or ongoing anxiety and worry for at least six months, like I mentioned, about numerous events or activities, and if one has difficulty in controlling the worry, nonstop worrying. And if one has at least three of the following symptoms: restlessness, easy fatigue, irritability, muscle tension, and sleep disturbance. And if one has significant distress or impairment, so take note of that. If you have Any of those 
signs. Okay, a word of caution, please, for lay people out there, do not self-diagnose, please. Or worse, you start to diagnose your friends, family members, colleagues. Don't do that because there are many symptoms that overlap with different types of disorders. So, if you think you have quite a number of the mentioned symptoms and behaviors, uh, please seek professional help. According to the sociocultural theorists, generalized anxiety disorder is most likely to develop in people who are faced with societal conditions that are truly dangerous. Now, that makes sense, isn't it? Well, let's face it. One of the most powerful forms of societal stress is poverty. People without financial means are likely to live in run-down communities with high crime rates, have fewer educational and job opportunities, and run a greater risk for health problems, not just physically, but of course, mentally. So, what does the father of psychodynamics had to say then? According to Freud, some children are overrun by neurotic or moral anxiety, therefore setting the stage for generalized anxiety disorder. He said, particularly during the early developmental experiences, such as if a boy is spanked every time he cries for milk as an infant, or if a boy is also punished or spanked when he messes his pants as a two-year-old, or he's also punished or being humiliated when he explores his genital as a toddler, he may eventually come to believe that his various impulses are very dangerous and he may experience overwhelming anxiety whenever he has such impulses as a boy. So according to Freud, such children who experience particularly high levels of such anxiety or their defense mechanisms are particularly inadequate, then these individuals may in turn develop generalized anxiety disorder. Actually, research has shown that when asked by therapists to discuss upsetting experiences from these children, they would quickly forget, meaning repress, what they had just been talking about, change the direction of the discussion, or deny having 
negative feelings. So these are inadequate defense mechanisms that Freud was referring to. And in another line of research, investigators have studied people who as children suffered extreme punishment uh, for their it impulses. As psychodynamic theorists would predict, these people have higher levels of anxiety later in life. They also find that in cultures where children are regularly punished and threatened, for example, adults seem to have more fears and anxieties. In addition, several studies have supported the psychodynamic position that extreme protectiveness by parents may often lead to high levels of anxiety in their children. So, my audience, I managed to cover generalized anxiety disorder from the perspectives of sociocultural and psychodynamics. And next week, I would like to cover the cognitive perspective of this disorder. So until next week, stay safe, learn heaps, and find the courage to be honest. Bye for now. Find this podcast, to be honest, on Apple Podcast, Spotify, and my website, www.drbarbarakiao.com. D R B A R B A R A K I A O.com.